If you have your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 8. Oh, kids. I like them so much, I don't want them to go. Go ahead, kids. Have a great time. Now there's probably a little bit more room around you, so if you're sitting too close to the person next to you, Tony and Fiona. No. <laughs> you can't sit too close. Huh? Oh, offering. If you're uh, new here, you don't know what these little uh, planter pots, plant pots are over here. We're not growing marijuana. <laughs> Those are actually our offering containers, and we don't pass them because of COVID restrictions. So if you've always wondered what that was, if you're saying, how do I give? There it is. Or you can give online. Steve would be happy with that as well. Acts 8. I'm excited about the word. Mary and I uh, started watching the uh, series Chosen this week, and uh, I have to admit that every session I cried through the whole thing. To just see Jesus come alive uh, just was absolutely amazing. If you haven't seen it, let me encourage you. We've been talking about part of our desire is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We've been going through Acts, if you're new. If, you have, if I haven't met you, my name is Russ. I'm one of the team here. I get the privilege of sharing this morning. Uh, but we've been talking about going through Acts and seeing in Acts a, not just a historical record, but a pattern for the advancement of the kingdom. And so that's really what we've been looking at, how God has chosen to partner with us to advance his kingdom. We've talked about some important things. Uh, I won't repeat them all because we've done this for months, for weeks now, months actually, <laughs> and we've only got to Acts chapter 8. So we're going to go through all of 8 today. Holy Spirit, we need your help. But we thank you that you lead us. Amen. Now Saul was consenting to his death. End of chapter 7 closes with persecution that, that breaks out. Uh, or actually, the death of Stephen. And Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution rose against the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is one of my favorite chapters. I say that about every chapter, but you can pass right over that because apostle means sent. And they weren't. The last thing Jesus said was, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And they settled down. So Persecution comes, and they're scattered, and they all go except the apostles. That's kind of backwards. It's almost as if we don't take Jesus seriously. He's going to arrange circumstances, so we have to. Some of you have experienced that, haven't you? Uh, verse 4, therefore those who are scattered whenever we're preaching the word. The word was the gospel of Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits cried, uh, spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Do you think there would be? It's awesome. Uh, 
verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached these, the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the signs and miracles that were done. We mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. Baptism was the expected response to believing in Jesus. They believed and were baptized. Okay? Baptism is an indication of the determination to follow Jesus. It signifies dying to self, dying to the old life. You can't believe on someone else's behalf. Therefore, you can't be baptized if you don't believe. And so, baptism is for believers. Christening is for children. Dedication. But you can't make a choice for someone else. Baptism is, is not for children. Not that they can't get old enough to, to decide to follow Jesus, but you can't make that choice for them. So I know I'm stepping on some toes here. But if you're baptized as a child and haven't been baptized as a believer, just get baptized. With that in mind, we're going to do baptism on the 16th of May. Good segue, huh? That was good. Uh, from verse 14, And now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samarita had received the word of God, and they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized and haven't received the Holy Spirit, just receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? See, being doers of the word and not hearers only means we just simply do what it says. And so let me encourage you, that was also part of the process. Okay, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Here Philip has just brought an incredible preaching the gospel, signs and wonders, whole cities being turned around, revivals taking place, and in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit says, You go down to some deserted place in the desert. How many of you would have said, That can't be Jesus? No, 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 I rebuke that, you devil. That can't be Jesus telling me to, to move away from this revival to something else. But that's exactly what happened. So he arose and went. And behold, the man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in the chair, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, Jews and proselytes had often came from other places during Passover, Acts 2, when they got up and they spoke in other tongues. People from all over understood them in their language. They were, so this Ethiopian guy has probably been there since Passover. He came for that purpose. Ethiopia was not the nation that we understand now. Ethiopia, at this point, was virtually everything south of Egypt in northern Africa, where people lived. So Ethiopia was the, the whole region south of, of Egypt. 
And so here is a key guy in that region. He's come to Jerusalem. He's been there. We're probably about six weeks or more later. And now he's returning. And God says to Philip, leave this revival and go here. And he just happens to meet this guy on the road. There wasn't a town there. It's desert. It's deserted. He goes down there, and he just happens at the right time to run across this guy. And uh, the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Peter to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he was reading was this, Isaiah 53. He was led as a lamb, as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who would declare to his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, teached a preach of Jesus to him. Jesus is in all the scriptures. If you go from Isaiah 53, when you get to Isaiah 56, it talks about a place for eunuchs coming into the, the house of God. See, when he got to Jerusalem, when he got to the, the Passover, he wasn't allowed into the temple. That was the law. He was rejected. Yet there was a, a way made. Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when he had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip was found in Azotus. Passing through, he preached the cities and came to Caesarea. Mist of revival. God says to Philip, go down here to the desert. He goes, he meets a guy, shares Jesus with him, he leaves the, the incredible move of God for the one, that in itself is a whole message. But he goes, he leaves that for the one, he goes down there, and the guy gets saved, and then the Spirit of God catches Philip away. We get excited about that. Philip never saw him again. Philip doesn't know that that guy went down to Ethiopia and shared the gospel and changed the whole nation. But God knew. Philip's in the midst of revival. Holy Spirit says, I want you to go down to a deserted place. How many of us would say, yes, Lord? Or we'd say, nah, that can't be right. Look at what's happening. God would never take me away from this. In fact, I was instrumental in getting this started. 
But he responds. And in that, a whole nation is transformed. But Philip didn't know it till he got to heaven. See, we often don't know the result of our obedience. See, too often we try and judge our obedience by the results. If something good happens, it must have been good. No, obeying God is the, the good in itself. So the message here is that we're called to obedience. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, elect are called, that's what that word means, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. Cut out all the middle stuff. It says called for obedience. Called for obedience. 2 Timothy, I mean, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, casting down every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. How often do we argue with God? We were watching, as I said, Chosen, and there's a point where they're traveling, and Jesus said, we're going this way, and the the disciples start arguing and Jesus said, if we're going to have an argument every time I tell us to do something, this is going to be a very frustrating journey for all of us. Let me ask you, do you argue with God every time he asks you to do something? Bringing every argument. See, we're talking about obedience. The word obedience in the uh, Greek, hupakoe, which it literally means under and to hear. It's two words. It means attentive hearing, listening with compliant submission. Agree. So it's basically, I'm hearing in order to obey. It's not I'm hearing in order to argue. This is not a debate. If he's king and lord and master, he's not looking for a debate. Now, if we, miss, if we don't understand, he's more than happy to work with us. But it's not a matter of my will against his will. We're talking about partnership in advancing the kingdom. Ministry. We're not talking about salvation. Okay? He's not saying you're called to obey so you can be saved. Salvation is in Christ. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, for those of you who missed this, we're, we're made in his image. Three times it says we're made in his image, and three times it says that he gave us dominion or rule. We're made in his, his image so that we can have relationship with God, and in that to have dominion or rule. Both of those were lost at the fall. Relationship was lost. Man no longer had relationship with God, but also the rule that God had given to man was lost. Satan is now the ruler of this world. Both were lost. And the story of the Bible is God's story of restoration of both of those. Intimate relationship with him. There is no substitute. But also in that, in partnership with him, seeing his kingdom advanced and his rule, that kingdom of God is the, ruler, the rule of God, 
advanced in the planet. We get to partner with him for both of those. Are you still with me? So we're not talking about salvation. Obedience is not this is how we get God's approval and we get saved. That's done in Jesus. But partnership requires us to walk with him, to hear his voice. And that's a whole bigger subject in the Bible that we don't have time for this morning. But you can see it in a lot of places. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. 1 Samuel 3, 9. The, the priest says to Samuel the prophet, you respond to God and say this, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. The idea is speak. I'm ready to obey. 1 Samuel 15, 22. To obey is better than sacrifice. See, that whole concept is there in the Bible. And too often what happened is that we face religion that basically said, if you do all the right things, you earn God's favor and you, you get salvation. And we've understood grace. And so we've swung the pendulum to the other extreme. And many people say, anything that requires us to do something is law. And we need to reject that. But they haven't understood that it's relationship and rulership. No, we do nothing except respond to Jesus for salvation. But once we're saved, we partner with him for the advancement of his kingdom. That's why we're being equipped to do the work of the ministry. We partner with him, which means we have to obey what he says. If you don't, you don't lose your salvation. It's not a salvation issue. Okay, I'm getting excited, sorry. Oh, that wasn't in my notes. So simple obedience. We're called to obey. Simple obedience. What do we obey? First, we obey God's word, which is what he has said. And secondly, we obey his spirit, which is what he is saying. God is the author of the Bible. It was not man's idea. God spoke it. All scripture is inspired. God breathed and profitable. God spoke it. And he's speaking by his spirit. So if it's God saying both, the word and the spirit, the spirit will never disagree with what God has said in the word. But let me say this. If you're not willing to obey what God has said, what makes you think you'll obey what God is saying? Oh, I want to pick and choose parts of what the Word says that I'll obey. Let's not get overboard here. And then that attitude carries in when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and we say, I want to pick and choose which parts. Someone said to me years ago that if you say no, Lord, it's a contradiction of terms. If he's Lord, you can't say no. And if you can't say no, he's not Lord. Ooh. So what do we obey? We obey the word and the spirit. Why do we obey? 
because he's the wisest and most loving. He knows more than we do. He knew the result of an uh, Ethiopian eunuch coming to Jesus and impacting a nation. Philip didn't. Philip's perspective, he would have said, no way. How often do we do that? We think we know more than God does. But not only does he know more than we do, he chooses what's best. But let me give you a hint. You're not the center of the universe. (laughs) See, too often we decide what's best for the whole universe is what is best for me or what I think is best for me. And God actually believes us when we say, according to the scripture, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'll glorify God. He actually believes us. And he says, you're not your own. You're not the center of the universe. I can actually use you to advance my kingdom's cause for people who might spend eternity separated from me. That's already been settled for you. He's the wisest and most loving. My wife told me I had to tell you this again. I've done it a number of times, but uh, some of you haven't heard it. I'm going to give you an illustration. Okay, you have to use your imagination. Pretend I'm a dentist. Dentist. And I'm the best dentist the world's ever seen. I know every nerve in your mouth. I'm so good that I can do all the dental work without any anesthetic. I'm that good. I'm the best. Would you come to me to get your dental work done? Yeah? But what if you knew that I hated you? I hate your guts. I know where every nerve in your mouth is. See, it's not good enough to be the best dentist. You also have to be what's best for someone else. Okay, now, I'm not a dentist. I'm just Russ. I love you. Would you come to me to get your dental work done? Guys, I know nothing about dentistry, but I love you. Would you? No. See, love isn't enough. There's also wisdom. How often do we go to people who we know love us? to give us wisdom about situations that they know nothing about. And we don't go to God. No, you wouldn't come to me, even though I love you. He's the wisest and the most loving. Therefore, he can be trusted. There's a whole lot in the Bible about trusting God. One of the key themes in all of Psalms. The very center scripture of the whole Bible, Psalm 118, is that cursed is the man who trusts in man, but blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Why? Because he's trustworthy. People might intend the right thing, but they don't always know what it is. And often their intent is mixed with selfishness on their part. Why do we obey him? Because he's the wisest and most loving. How do we obey? 
See, this is our goal that we're growing into. Three things. How do we obey? We obey instantly. Acts 8. Angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road, down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. He obeyed instantly. Delayed obedience can often miss the window of opportunity of what God has. And so he's wanting us to grow in instant obedience. Yes, God, when you say it, I do it. He didn't say, he didn't argue. He didn't say, no, no, it's better that I stay here. I'll wait till after this revival has got established. We're going to establish some churches here. When that's all done, then maybe I'll go down. The eunuch wouldn't have been there. There was a confluence. There was an intersection in time that he was looking for someone who would obey. And so part of his desire for us is that we learn to obey instantly, that we don't miss those opportunities. Just to set you at ease, I think God's big enough and great enough that if I miss it, he'll still get his purposes done. Okay? If Philip had been slow, the Ethiopians wouldn't have missed out. But he got to be a part of it. Isn't that a privilege? I want to be a part of what he's doing. So how do we obey? Instant and then total. Said, rise, go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. What if he'd only gone part of the way? See, partial obedience isn't really obedience. God said go to the desert area down there, but man, the last town I come to, I know there's nothing beyond this. I don't want to get out there. Where am I going to sleep? I'm going to stay here. I've, I've come from Samaria. I've come part of the way, but I don't want to go all the way. And what happened? Again, the opportunity is missed. Partial obedience isn't really obedience. And then lastly, joyful. How do we obey? Joyfully. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the... See, God's not looking for us to, when we get to where he tells us to go, that we're grumpy and dragging our feet. Desert. There's nothing to drink. And, and here comes this, this guy's just kicking up dust. No, you would never do that, right? So, what's the goal? Instant, total, and joyful obedience. Partnering with Him for what he wants to do. Not just in major things, moving to other nations, but when God says, pray for this person at the checkout stand. See, if you're not instant, you might miss the opportunity. 
You might talk to them, but you don't pray for them. You're not total obedience. And you miss something of what God wants to do. Okay, just an aside here before we finish. For those of you who have children, raising children, the same thing applies. See, we raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're teaching them to ultimately obey Him. And so why do you want to teach your children instant, total, joyful obedience? Not just obeying the rules. Can't do that. Don't touch the books. But what happens if they forget by the next day? Do they get disciplined because they got a bad memory? No, we need to teach them to obey our voice. So our little son, Matt, got to the point where he wanted to play with the books and his mother told him, Matt, don't touch the books. And so what did Matt do? He said, here's the books. This is the bookshelf. He sat like this and he went, Had he forgotten the rules? No. What was he expressing? Rebellion. So he needed some correction. Why? Because ultimately the goal is that he walks in relationship with Jesus and is instantly, totally, and joyfully obedient. Let me say this. It's not just the rules, but it's the voice of the parents. Parents, let me give you a hint. Don't say to your children, we do this because the Bible says. No, we do this because God says in the Bible. See, the Bible is an impersonal rule. God's a person. And if we say we do this because the Bible says, then it becomes impersonal. Then someone attacks the authority of the word, and there's no reason to do that. But relationship with God, we do this because he says we're laying the foundation for relationship. You still with me? It's relationship, not impersonal. Instant, total, joyful. Our son Matt, we taught him when he was a toddler. He and his friends were playing. And uh, I saw him running toward the street. And I called him, Matt, stop. Now what happens if he didn't stop instantly? And he ends up out in the street when a car is coming by. What happens if he doesn't obey totally? I won't go all the way across the street. I'll only go out a little bit. Now, see, the problem with kids at that age is that they think concretely. They don't think abstractly. Okay? You tell a child at that age, if you go into the street, a car might come by and, and hit you and knock you over, and then the ambulance will have to come and take you to the hospital. You're talking Greek. They don't understand a bit of that. So you have to teach them concretely. But you've got to teach them to respond instantly, totally, and joyfully. Not, well, after I go out in the street, then I'll come back. Are you still with me? So what does this mean? What are we looking for? I, I just have this sense in my heart that God wants an avalanche of obedience. We lived in Denver. 
And they have these places in the backcountry where the snow gets so built up that something shakes it. And it just comes rushing down the mountain. Now it's negative if you're caught in that. But it's a force that is beyond comprehension. We think snow, this light stuff that falls, it becomes a force that can actually plow over whole forests. And I have this sense of, in my heart, of God wanting an avalanche of obedience. Every one of us just saying, God, my heart is to be instantly, totally, and joyfully obedient. What you say, I'll respond to. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, I'm ready to obey. Not, I'm, I hear and let's argue about it. Speak, Lord, I'm ready to obey. I trust you as Lord. I trust your wisdom. I trust your love. Just make sure you speak loud enough, because sometimes I don't hear real well. You know, sometimes we get dull of hearing. What stops us from hearing God? Sin. One of the things, sin makes a separation between us and God. Doesn't, if you sin after you're saved, it doesn't mean that you're not saved, but it does mean that you get dull of hearing. It does mean it affects your partnership with God for the advancement of his kingdom. And so sometimes we don't hear. Sometimes we get so much other noise. If loud music is going on and Mary says something, I often find myself going, pardon, what would you say? It wasn't that she wasn't speaking. It was just there was so much other noise around, I couldn't hear. But I believe when our heart is, God, I want to obey He'll speak loud enough that we can hear. See, we don't have to have this fear that God said something and I missed it and I've ruined my life. Or somebody else's life. It was like a, a little, I, I thought there was some little noise out there, but I wasn't real sure. And I would say, God, I want to hear your voice. Let me tell you, he'll speak. If we can't hear enough, He'll arrange the circumstances to force us. He says, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if you don't go, I'm going to bring persecutions to scatter you. <coughs> I think God's heart is an avalanche of obedience rather than a scattering. Would you bow your head? I have a lot of confidence in the Holy Spirit because he's so much better of a communicator than I am. And he can speak to all of us either in or through or totally separate from anything that I was sharing this morning. But the key is, do we respond to the Holy Spirit? Is there some adjustment that he's making? Is there a a heart in uh, adjustment in your heart to say, God, I want to obey everything you say. And while I might not yet have instant, total, and joyful obedience, that's my goal. That's what I want. Where I've become hard of hearing, let me know.
where I've become heart of heart. Turn up the fallow ground. And when I'm actually doing it, remind me that it's all for your glory. Just take a moment and respond to him. In your heart, again, he's loving. He's not angry. Even though I get excited and yell and scream, God's not yelling. He's just gently leading us. And then we get the privilege of being part of what he's doing and seeing him touch and change hearts and bring healing and restoration. Lord, we say we want an avalanche of obedience that Jesus would be glorified. Lord, we say as a church we want to hear what you're saying. The mandate is Hear what the Spirit says to the church. Lord, in this season, there is an outpouring of your Spirit across the world, and we get to be a part of that. And we just simply want to walk in step with you. We want to be led by your Spirit. We want to hear your voice. We don't want to be distracted by other things. We don't want to be dull of hearing. But we thank you for that privilege. Amen. Why don't you stand? Because God sent Philip to a deserted place doesn't mean he's sending all of us to a deserted place. Okay? That, that's not the point. The point is, wherever you live, are we still preaching Jesus? Lord, fill us with your grace, your power as we carry your presence. Thank you that you equip us for your purposes. Thank you for your ministry here this morning. Lord, far beyond what we see, that you touch hearts and bring restoration. Thank you, Holy One. If you'd like someone to pray with you, Specifically for something, there'll be some people who'd love to. Uh, let me tell you, if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus and haven't met him, we'd love to introduce you to him. I'm going to ask Michael and Margaret, if you just stand up here in the front for me right now. If you haven't met Jesus, come and talk to Michael and Margaret. They'd love to introduce you to him and pray with you. Over here, turn around the other uh, yeah, he's shy. <laughs> Maybe when he was two. <laughs> God bless you. If you need someone to pray, they'd be happy to, but otherwise let's go and, and expect supernatural things as we talk to people about Jesus. Amen? Amen. You're just missed, guys.